maybe you've heard it mentioned, but you have no paradigm at all, whether maybe the church you grew up in never talked about it, or maybe you got saved later in life and you've never studied it or never understood it, and you've, you just, you know, nothing. And so you're like a blank slate, and uh, you're my favorite people because, uh, you know, you don't, you don't bring anything. I'm not in that group. Uh, I'm one of the other groups. And so the second group of people are those you, you've been taught. You understand, you know that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is something in the Bible, uh, but you've either been taught or you've kind of preferenced yourself into this idea that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not for today. Uh, it's something that was for the apostles in the past, but it's not something that's for the present day circumstance, or maybe you've even taught or kind of gotten to the idea idea that it's of the devil, uh, that you're afraid of anything that is associated with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The third group of people is you, you know it, you were raised in it, you believe in it, and uh, in this group are people that you actively understand it and you walk in step with the Holy Spirit, you grow in it, and there are those who believe in it. Uh, believe it's for today, but we don't practice it at all. Uh, and I was raised in a church, I'm more in group three, and uh, I was raised in a church that, that every time they preached on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I kid you not, on Pentecost Sunday, I wanted to be sick every Sunday. I didn't want to go to church on Pentecost Sunday because I didn't want the Holy Spirit to make me do something that, that was weird. Um, and so I just didn't want to go. I mean, we had people that, uh, you know, would fall down and we had people that would laugh and we had people that would, you know, speak in tongues and I didn't want any of it. And so I really developed a theology uh, that I didn't need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Not because that's what I felt like the Bible said, because that's what I wanted to believe. And so I made the Bible say it. And I, I used famous people throughout the, the, the history of the church who had great revivals or saw great fruit, but they didn't have the baptism in the Holy Spirit, so I didn't need it either. And uh, I would point to them. And I had an encounter with the Lord in Bible school, fighting against him, um, that changed my paradigm. It made me search the scriptures and find out what the Bible actually says. And so no matter what group you're in, one, two, or three, uh, or what subgroup under each group you're in, this series, I believe, will challenge you. But if you're in the group and you have no understanding, I challenge you to go to the scripture, search the scripture, seek the Lord, find out what he says, ask questions in your huddles, make an appointment with me, ask questions, grow in this together. I don't have all the answers because I fought against it for so long and sometimes today I still fight against it because I want to be in control. I know, I know it's terrible. It's a sin. Uh, none of you are like me. You don't want to be in control. You, you know, you freely let God just take control, complete control of your life. And uh, I know I'm alone in that, but I, that's my fear is if I let go that God somehow is going to make me do something that makes me look stupid. You know what that is? That's pride. I know it's terrible, but here's the thing. Uh, Jesus taught us that if we ask God for anything, he will give us the Holy Spirit. He's not going to give us a snake. He's not going to give us a scorpion. He's not going to give us something bad. He's going to give us something good, the Holy Spirit, in greater measure. So no matter what group you're in, I challenge you to study. For those of you that, that say that the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit was for the past, I'd love you to search the scripture and prove that to yourself. 
let the scripture actually show you that that's the case. Because I believe if you do that, you won't be able to follow that doctrine. That's a doctrine of our hearts, not a doctrine of the word. Because the word does not teach that the experience that the church had in the book of Acts should not be the case in our lives today. And so today, I'm hoping to cover just enough to whet your appetite in what I've called more of God to kind of help you search out what the scripture's saying. And we're going to do that in the weeks ahead also. But today, I want to talk about four things and they all start with the letter P. It was interesting in Sunday school that we had all those things that started with P and today in service we have all these things. So it's like P is the letter of the day. I feel like Sesame Street. The letter of the day is P. And so I hope no one, yeah, let's just go. So the first thing I want to talk about, taking thoughts captive right now, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I want to talk about prophecy. All through the Old Testament, there are prophecies concerning God putting his spirit inside his people. The book of Ezekiel talks about it. The book of Joel talks about it in Joel chapter 2. And actually, in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he alludes to that. In John chapter 7, Jesus says for his followers that rivers of living water are going to flow out of us. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given. So all through scripture, I don't have time to unpack all of them, but they're there. One of them I want to look at in particular comes from Luke chapter 3 where John the Baptist says I baptize you with water but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am so much greater I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire now the Old Testament talks constantly about this Messiah, this Christ. The word Christ means Messiah, anointed one, prophesied one. So Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's what that means, okay? The, the Christ is going to come. But before he comes, before he sets up his reign that never ends, before all the nations come to him, is going to come a guy known as a forerunner. He's going to come before and he's going to make the way. We know that the Messiah is Jesus and we know that the forerunner is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's job was to prepare the way for Jesus to come, the Messiah. And so he taught the people things concerning repentance, turning from your way to God's way and getting ready for the Messiah. One of those verses is this one. He teaches us that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come and he is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, Jesus is the baptizer. I'm not the baptizer. The Holy Spirit is not the baptizer. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is about Jesus baptizing you and I, his followers, with his Holy Spirit or in his Holy Spirit. That word, baptize, means to submerge or dunk. When you hear the word baptize in our culture today, you think it's a religious term. It is not. If I had a donut and a cup of coffee, I could baptize my donut into the coffee. And it would not be sacrilegious. I would not be quenching the spirit because it's not a holy sacred term. It's a legitimate common term. You baptize things. So whenever, whenever Jesus or John spoke to people and said, I baptize you, I, I put you in the water. I submerge you in waters. Literally what he's saying. So sometimes people say, I don't know why we make such a big deal about baptism. I was sprinkled as a child. Well, it's great that you were sprinkled and it's great that you had an experience, but you did not get baptized because that word does not mean just a little bit. 
It means completely submerged in, and it's a common term. It's not some sacred, holy term. It's just a common word. So Jesus is going to completely immerse his followers in the Holy Spirit in fire. He's going to purify us. He's going to empower us. He's going to cleanse us. He's going to do all of the things that fire does in our lives. And when he is finished, there will be more residue or evidence of the Holy Spirit than there is of us. How many of you would say, I need more residue of the Holy Spirit? All of us. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not some event that takes place as much as it's a continuously surrendering and yielding our lives to God so that people get more of a taste of the Holy Spirit than they get of me. All right, that's that's the prophecy. The plan, the plan. This is one of my favorites. And I I love this because it, it makes sense to me because this one held me back for a lot of years. God had a plan. I love that Reg referenced the fact that God is into details because he is absolutely into details. Okay, but here's the thing. God doesn't have to act on the spur of the moment. You know, he didn't sit down one day and be like, well, let's see, what should I create today? Oh, I should create light and dark. Okay, there's going to be light and dark. Oh, I wonder what I should do next. God knew the end from the beginning. He always does because God's brain is way bigger than ours. So he sees the end from the beginning. You and I are linear. Everything has to happen, you know, in sequence, but not so with God. He can jump around and doesn't get confused. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, women, you're better at this. That's why the personality of God I know is in some of you because you can go from one thing to the next and men are like, where are you? And so that's a quality of God. He can do that. Um, In Luke chapter 24, Jesus starts talking about it. He says to his disciples as he starts to open their minds to, to understand the scriptures, after three years of teaching, He's now opening their minds to understand the scriptures that it was written the Messiah would suffer, die, rise from the dead on the third day. Oh, it makes so much sense now. They're like, wow, why didn't we see that? It's also written that this message of what Jesus did would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. There's forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You're witnesses of these things. Now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. He's going to fill you with power from heaven because you are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, completely immersed in the Holy Spirit and fire. You're going to have power to accomplish what he said. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But what I want us to see here is Jesus is opening their minds to understand the scriptures that there's been a plan all along. That God's not just making this up as he goes. He is going to send the promised Holy Spirit there to wait for that to happen. Acts chapter 1. During the 40 days after he suffered and died. So now we know that after his resurrection, he stayed with them 40 days and taught them things. He appeared to the apostles from time to time. He proved to them in many ways he was actually alive. Isn't it funny that he had to actually keep proving to them that he was alive? I mean, I know that sometimes we get hard on each other because we're like, why don't you just believe? But these guys are seeing with their eyes the resurrected Messiah, and he still has to keep trying to convince them that he's alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God, and once he was eating with them, he said, do not leave Jerusalem. Why? 
because they were in Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John submerged you with water in water, but in a few days you will be submerged in the Holy Spirit. And when the apostles, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him. See, this is, I love this. Um, because as a teacher, I get this. You're teaching one thing and the student raises their hand and they're like, uh, uh, when, is, when are you gonna restore the kingdom? Are you listening? I mean, that's what Jesus should have said. Because do you ever feel like that? I mean, I did this. When I was in seventh grade, I remember this. this. The teacher was so angry at the class one day because she was like, and she was a Christian, thank goodness, because I don't know what would have happened to me if she wasn't. And, and she was trying to teach and she was frustrated because we weren't focused. And uh, it was snowing that day. I'm sorry, but uh, I get easily distracted when it snows. And so she's teaching and I have no idea what she's teaching because I'm watching it snow. And uh, I was mesmerized by the snow and I raised my hand and she reluctantly calls on me. <laughs> she really did, reluctantly. And I said, Mrs. Singer, why does it snow up? Because the snow was going up and I just couldn't understand. <laughs> and so she threw an eraser at me. <laughs> she did. She threw an eraser at me. It was terrible. And she missed. And so then the class started laughing and she was frustrated that she missed. So she came and she picked it up because it bounced halfway up the aisle and she threw it again and she missed again. I'm like, I'm protected by the Lord. It was great. <laughs> and so she literally was like this far from me and she throws it and she still missed. It was great. And she was so red, she stormed out of the room and slammed the door. And a minute later, she came back and just kept teaching. <laughs> Uh, she held me after class and children never act like that. I'm not advocating that in any way, shape or form. But what I'm saying is these guys are, Jesus is trying to explain to them the most important thing. Focus. Here's what I want you to understand. You know, there are distractions galore in our lives. When I'm teaching on something like the baptism in the Holy Spirit, kids do cute things. They get up and they run around. And you can either choose to be distracted or you can choose to say, that's cute, but this is important. And you got to set your mind. you got to focus. you got to keep your mind from wandering. And Jesus says, it's not important that you know what dates and times are set by the authority of the Father. Do you catch that? The means the Father has dates and times and authority. He's got all this already done. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So notice that. 40 days teaching them, explaining to them, don't leave Jerusalem. The Father sets these things by his own authority. You get power when you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Then Acts chapter two, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire as a fire appeared on them and they rested on each of them and they were all filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Here's what I want you to see. The Holy Spirit was always coming on the day of Pentecost. Their waiting or tarrying before the Lord had nothing to do with when the Holy Spirit was coming. He was coming 
on the day of Pentecost. It was already set in the authority and the plan of God. The feast of Pentecost that they were celebrating was called the feast of harvest. There's so much symbolism through this and through the Old Testament, I don't have time to unpack it all. But sometimes in the churches that I grew up in, I heard things like this taught, and, and, and so I didn't receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit easily because, you know, you had to tarry to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I mean, you gotta like pray and try real hard and you gotta like, you know, wait 10 days like they did to receive the baptism. No, that's not the point. In fact, nowhere else in the book of Acts or later does it ever say that anyone had to wait more than the fact that the apostles laid their hands on them and they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And yet some people taught me whether they taught me or I just heard it that way, that, you know, if you don't tarry, the Holy Spirit don't come. That's not, and I even heard a sermon once that Jesus appeared in his resurrected form to 500 people. And we know that because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse six, that Jesus in his resurrected state appeared to 500 people. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, way before the day of Pentecost, not way before, a few days, it says that the 120 believers, all the believers, 120 of them, met together to pick a new apostle. And then they met together constantly. So, see, what I heard preached was 500 heard Jesus and they started waiting for the Holy Spirit, but 120 were there on the day of Pentecost. 380 got tired of waiting and they didn't tarry long enough so they didn't receive. Well, that's hogwash because the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, what it says is the 380 never even started waiting. It says that Jesus appeared to 500 people, but 380 people stubbornly refused to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. He is who he says he is and that they even needed to wait for any Holy Spirit. Now, that's alarming. That 500 people heard Jesus teach this and 380 of them didn't even try. Didn't think they needed it. Because sometimes I get bent out of shape that, you know, in our day and age, I'm like, man, Lord, I don't understand. I preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I try to say everything the Bible says and people don't want it. Well, Jesus himself appeared to 500 people and 380 of them didn't think they needed it. See how human nature easily can deceive us? But what I want us to understand, because, and I love in the book, you need to read this, because our superintendent, former superintendent now, Dr. Wood, writes in the beginning of the book about old-time tarrying services. If you are not Pentecostal or raised in it, you don't know what that is, but on Sunday night, we used to come to church at six o'clock or wherever you were, whatever time, and you didn't know when you were going home. Literally, sometimes it was 11 o'clock or later because the pastor would preach a little and then he'd give an altar call and people would get saved. It was on a Sunday night that I was sitting on a platform playing my trumpet and my cousin, who was a stripper, literally, came in from work and had a coat wrapped around her scantily clad body, walked an aisle to where her mom was sitting and started crying, came to the altar and gave her life to the Lord. I mean, stuff like that happened on Sunday night. And so, you know what we were like? When we stopped having Sunday night services culturally, do you know what we did? We were like, well, the spirit ain't gonna move now. <laughs> That's what we did. 
And I was, I fought it. I thought, you know, we got to have Sunday night service. This is the devil trying to keep us from having Sunday night services. No. Well, you know, we have these one minute, one hour and 90 minute service, 30 minute services. There's no way the Holy Spirit can move in an hour and a half. And so we've created this doctrine that it has to be long and drawn out if the Holy Spirit's going to speak. And what we need to understand is they waited till the day of Pentecost so they could receive the Holy Spirit. And you and I can receive the Holy Spirit and we can actually go out and we don't have to tarry and we don't have to wait. And we, we can actually operate in the gifts of the Spirit every single day of our lives. Amen. Without some worship team following us around, without us having to have a fight, well... Oh, you need prayer? Hold on, give me, give me a couple minutes to get in the spirit. <laughs> there ain't time for that. Now, do not misunderstand me. There are times that we are to wait before the Lord. We are to tarry. We are to quiet ourselves. Absolutely. But please do not attach that to the theology of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and confuse everybody. If your heart is open and ready, you will receive when you ask. The biggest problem most of us have with receiving of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is right here. Oh, trust me, I know. It took me forever to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the crazy thing is, is I was receiving it all along. I just wouldn't accept it. And even after I received it, I doubted it. That's just me. That's just me. And even after I asked God for confirmation, and I've told the story before, and he gave it, that I was actually speaking in a language someone else could understand who knew that language and I didn't, I still didn't believe it. It's right here. The enemy keeps us from receiving something that God says is really good because of what we think. God has had a plan all along. And I challenge you, in the first couple chapters of the book, he really goes over the history of the Pentecostal movement, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and the assemblies of God. And so all of that is in there. And it's a warning, or it's, it's information to some of us, but it's a warning to some of us that we cannot get more concerned about the fireplace than we do the fire. You understand that? Don't get more concerned about the fireplace than the fire. We all have these ways that we think the Holy Spirit moves. They're fireplaces. He's the fire. And anytime you put him in a fireplace, you limit his ability to move in your life out there. And I don't want to put him in a fireplace. Amen. Well... God's plan was never for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be just for the early church. Peter says, each of you repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, referring to water baptism. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to your children, to those who are far away, people far in the future and or the Gentiles. That's what that literally means. To people who are far away means not location far in the future, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And the pattern throughout the book of Acts is everyone who comes to faith in Christ should expect to be baptized in the Holy Spirit the same way. Not with tongues of fire, not with great fanfare, but you should expect the same things that happened in their lives to happen in our lives. We'll show you that in the parts of the baptism. Third P. The parts of the baptism in the Holy Spirit coming from Mark chapter 16. Jesus again teaching his disciples after he was resurrected from the dead. He rebuked them 
for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he'd been raised from the dead. Don't short circuit that. In other words, some of the disciples saw Jesus, not just the 12 apostles, disciples, 500 followers, and some of them refused to believe. Jesus says to them, I rebuke you. Stop it. That stubborn refusal of the heart to believe what's right in front of your face. It's in the book. He showed them the scriptures. It's been there the whole time, but the stubbornness of your heart kept you from believing. That's what he says to them. So then he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. See, this is what I love. Don't miss this. Jesus rebukes them for their stubborn refusal to believe. And then he says, now go and do this. We think every time we get, well, well, it's me. Jesus rebuked me. I'm a terrible person. I'm never qualified to serve. No, he rebukes you because you are qualified to serve. If you're never being rebuked by the Lord, (laughs) you're not qualified to serve. Amen. If you are not being rebuked by the Lord, disciplined by God, he doesn't love you or you don't love him because he disciplines those he loves. Every one of us in this room needs that discipline of the Lord in our lives. And it doesn't disqualify us for service. We're already qualified for service. Go into all the world, preach the good news. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. Believe They'll cast out demons. They'll speak in new languages. They'll be able to handle snakes with safety. If they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They'll be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. Now, there's different parts of the baptism in the Holy Spirit contained in here. He goes over them in great detail in the book in chapter 2. I'm going to give them to you quickly. If you want to write them down, you can write them down. But they're all contained right here in Mark chapter 16. The first one is the divine rebuke. He rebukes them. See, it's not enough for them to just have an experience with the resurrected Jesus. It's not enough for them to just understand the scriptures. They have to have the infilling of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Here's what this divine rebuke, I think, should teach you and I. You and I need the Holy Spirit more than we put into practice in our lives. You and I need the Holy Spirit more than we currently acknowledge in our lives. You and I need the Holy Spirit more than you and I even understand we need the Holy Spirit. See, whenever you tell your kids something that they need to do, they understand, well, you're mom and dad, and so they tell me I need to do this, so I'll do it. And they may not fully understand all of the details. Well, just like God's child, I don't have to understand all of it. I just have to say, he says I need it. That's good enough for me. And I put that same childlike faith in him and I live it out. Jesus teaches we need this baptism in the Holy Spirit. What's it going to do for us? It's going to help us have a divine purpose. If you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, but our lives are not about telling people about Jesus, our lives are not about the kingdom. See, here's what we do. We get saved and we guilt everybody into sharing their faith. 
Well, you know, you just need to practice friendship evangelism. You know, uh, here's this method. You just sit down and draw this picture, draw a cross, and, you know, God bridges the gap. And I know I'm mocking that right now. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with learning methods. But here's the thing. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is the fire that drives the passion for us to share our faith. And the problem for most of us as believers is the kingdom of God, God's presence, God's power, the the things of the spirit are not a part of our normal conversation with one another, so they're not a part of our normal conversation with unbelievers. If they were a part of our normal conversation with one another because of the fire of God in us that gave us a passion for the things of God more than a passion for the things of the world, we would talk more about the things of the spirit. It wouldn't be as hard to start conversations with unbelievers because we start them with believers. You with me? See, last night, how many of you watched the the Miami-Notre Dame game? There has to be some way to get that into the sermon, doesn't there? I mean, praise God. I mean, it was just wonderful. I mean, I fully expected them to lose. I didn't think they were that good. But man, they just clobbered Notre Dame. But from the moment that game started, and I was, you you know, spending family time watching a Christmas movie with the family, watching the game on my phone. You know, I'm, it's like, you, you just, you gotta do it. And so, but there was, I was just so excited and pumped up. Why? Because all week long, they talked about it. All week long, Catholics versus convicts. Remember all of the great Miami Notre Dame games from the 80s and 90s? And so it stirs up something in us. You know, the reason that most of us, when we come into a worship service, have to have a worship person to get us cranked up? Because there's been no anticipation. You know, if we would speak about, talk about, live in the presence of God all week long, wouldn't be so much pressure on Stan up here to start that lawnmower. You see what I'm saying? But here's the thing. I'm not trying to guilt trip you, but what I'm saying is, God, I need fire in my heart. Where does that fire come from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. But... Most of us don't want to acknowledge that we need fire. I don't need the Holy Spirit. Pastor Tom, I'm doing just fine. I'm going to learn my little methods to tell people about Jesus. I need the fire of God in my life. I need the fire of God in my life. Then he says, there's going to be divine power that goes along with this. this. These signs will accompany those who believe. They're gonna cast out demons. There is a spiritual realm, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, this book says that right now, there's a spiritual realm, there's a natural realm. You don't see the spiritual realm, but it affects the natural realm. There's a God of this age who blinds the minds of unbelievers. And the only way that we are able to share the gospel with unbelievers, the only way they're gonna see it is if you and I also do battle in spiritual realms. Not everybody you encounter is going to have a demon. Not everyone you encounter. But sometimes you're going to need something to unlock that person's understanding because they've been so conditioned. And the way is through one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit so that he operates so that it unlocks that person's understanding so they can hear the gospel. It's the power, the signs that accompany uh, the believers, those who put their faith in Christ. Now, I understand. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the apostle Paul says, you can have power, and if you don't have love, that power is useless. You can move mountains, you can do all this stuff. In other words, you can have smoke, but if you don't have fire, it's useless. 
Paul is not saying you don't need power. He's saying in your power, make sure you have love. And some of us have used 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to move away from the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues because Paul says, if you have tongues, if you have power, but you don't have love, see, I just want love. That's not what Paul says. You need power. You need the gift of tongues, but you also need love. And we, group three, those of us in the room, we can have fire or smoke without fire. You understand that? The signs can still operate. The tongues can still flow. But the fire of the Holy Spirit can be quenched in our hearts. That's how Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, you cast out demons in my name. You did, we did all these things in, our, in your name. He said, I didn't know you. I mean, there was a lot of smoke, but there wasn't any fire. It's not either or. Because where there is fire, there will be smoke. Where the fire of the Holy Spirit burns, there will be signs that accompany. But don't just think that because you have smoke, sometimes it's just a fog machine. There's a lot of charismatic churches that have a lot of fog, but not a lot of fire. I don't want to be one of those churches. But I don't want to be one of those churches that disdain the smoke either. I want the fire. I want the smoke. Are you with me? All right, then there's going to be divine communication. These miraculous signs will follow those who believe. They will speak in new languages. People say, well, I don't understand why we have to speak in tongues. I don't understand. I don't understand it all either. But here's what I know. The Bible says when you receive the filling of the Holy Spirit, you will speak in new languages. You will speak in a divine language given to you by the Holy Spirit. Nowhere does it say that it will, he will come and overpower you and take your tongue and speak for you. It says he will supply an utterance. He means he will give in your head a thought to say out. And I know I wrestled with this for years. It was just because I heard other people speak in tongues. My mom speaks in tongues more than all of you. And I knew it was just because I heard her. I'm just mimicking someone else. That's not really the Holy Spirit. All kinds of doubts and questions. And finally, one day I just said, okay, I'm God, I'm gonna believe it and I'm just gonna do it. My life gets changed when I use that language to pray and when I don't use that language to pray, I notice a difference in my life. Does that mean I still never wonder or doubt or question? Absolutely not. I'm a very analytical person and things have to be very linear for me. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, could be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, pray in the Spirit at all times, on all occasions. In Jude, he says, build up your faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, he says, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. Does that mean that the Holy Spirit is in heaven right now uttering wordless groans for you and I? Or does that mean you and I are the ones uttering wordless groans that the Holy Spirit is praying through us? But see, the enemy has kept us afraid. I don't want to be weird. I don't want to do something. I mean, I don't want to step out. And because of it, it limits what God can do in our lives and in the lives of people around us. It's kept us in bondage. <clears throat> Don't be afraid of what God has promised to give to us. I know that tongues in some circles has become um, 
a badge of honor or some type of thing. Again, there's got to be fire to go with your smoke. But if the baptism, if the fire of the Holy Spirit burns in our hearts, one of the signs that it says is we will speak in new tongues. It's throughout the scripture, and we're going to talk about it in the weeks ahead as well. Divine protection. They'll be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. This in no way applies to the fact that we should bring snakes into a worship service and pick them up. Okay? Acts chapter 28, the apostle Paul baptized in the Holy Spirit, living in the power of the Holy Spirit, operating daily in the power of the Spirit, praying in the Spirit more than all of the believers. He said that himself. One day is collecting firewood and a snake latches onto his hand. He shook it off. Now, I don't know about you, but if a snake latched onto my hand, I hope I would just go like this. Chances are I'd scream like a girl and I would be like, I'm going to die. Or I'd be like asking someone to suck the poison out. But he just, why? Because the baptism in the Holy Spirit for the Apostle Paul wasn't an event. He was continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Everywhere he went, it wasn't just him. It was what the Holy Spirit was saying, what the Holy Spirit was doing. I know that we look at some people and they, all they talk about is the Holy Spirit. All they talk about is the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. All we should talk about is what the Holy Spirit is saying and doing. Now, I don't want us to be weird and be like, well, I can't eat this food. And, I mean, Holy Spirit, what should I order off the menu today? That's not what we're talking about. But our conversation should be filled with the kingdom of God. How many of you know someone that needs healing in their physical body? Raise your hand. How many of you know someone who needs deliverance from something? Raise your hand. They're oppressed by something. Why should you and I talk about the kingdom? For that very reason. Because God wants the kingdom not just in our lives, but in their lives. This isn't about us having a good worship service. This is about changing the lives of people around us. When Jesus stood before Pilate, he said, you don't have any power over me that wasn't given to you from above. There's a divine protection that comes from the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the awareness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The last one is divine healing. They will be able to lay their hands on the sick and be healed. And he does a great job in the chapter of talking about um, what the world says about physical touch. Why the laying on of hands? And he, he goes over that the world and doctors, they, they talk about how touch has a healing aspect to it. And just touching people makes a difference in hugs and physical things. And, and what I love is that after all of that, when he lays that foundation, he says, if the natural physical touch can do that, imagine what's possible if you add the supernatural element to it. Why do we lay hands on? Well, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he understands that physical touch does do something for you and I. But he also knows that he wants to flow through you and I to touch others and not just touch them on his own. And so laying hands on the sick, and he talks about miracles and healing and how all of this takes place. And so I want to encourage you, again, to just read through the chapter. He'll unpack things in ways that I just didn't have time to really go over. And you say, well, Pastor Tom, 
Don't these things happen in the lives of unbelievers or in the lives of other believers who don't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Yes, it does. It absolutely does. I mean, it doesn't healing take place when people pray who haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. I mean, doesn't salvation come to people? I mean, don't, aren't some people passionate about evangelism without the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Because here's what you gotta understand. Every person who comes to faith in Christ does so by the Holy Spirit. And the moment you and I put faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. That does not keep us from saying, the Bible does say, there is an experience with the Holy Spirit known as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And however you want to describe it, the Holy Spirit takes more of our lives. We get more immersed in the baptism or in the Holy Spirit so that he flows out of us in other ways. So it's not a question of me getting more of the Holy Spirit. You can't get more of him. You got all that you get but you can give more of you to him. And so here's the thing. God's not like in heaven going, well, if you're not gonna believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, then I'm gonna not do anything in your life. No, he loves people. And if you, have the, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you and you're willing, he'll use you to minister to other people. You can pray for someone, they can be healed. I'm not gonna limit it. But please understand, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is an experience God wants for every one of us. He wants us to learn to release more of ourselves to him. The last P, and it's really a short P, is the point of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, is more of him. It's more of him. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, don't get me wrong, it's not about signs and wonders following you. It's not about, um, you know, all of the, these external things because, you know, the danger of that is you can keep all those external things and really lose him. In other words, you can keep all of the fire, or the smoke, but not have any fire. So don't lose sight of the fact that we're not asking for the baptism in the Holy Spirit just so I can speak in tongues. Tongues helps me know him. It's his language. When we get baptized in water, how many of you have ever seen someone get baptized in water and they came out of the tank like completely submerged and they came out of the tank dry? Uh, it didn't happen. I mean, what, what happens when you get baptized in water and you come out wet? <clears throat> when you and I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we ought to come out with the fruit of the Spirit. We ought to come out with the power of the Spirit. You say, well, well Pastor Tom, what do you, well, I, I, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues, but there's so much of my life that there's more of me than there is Holy Spirit. Well, I'm glad you said that. Because in Acts chapter two, all of those that were present, the 120, were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. In Acts chapter four, they faced a circumstance that was hard. And so they prayed all together, same group of people, they're praying. And after the prayer, the meeting shook and they were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not an event. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is about releasing more of me to him. 
It's about learning to hear his voice. It's about responding to him. It's about letting the gifts of the spirit operate. It's about letting the fruit of the spirit out of my life. And it's all done by him. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back. And as they're coming, I wanna, I wanna share with you a story this week. You know, I talk about my mom a lot in service and I probably should have asked her permission to share this. Hi, mom. But my mom, um, all of my life, I mean, she was one of the ones that if there was a message in tongues given at church, she would be it. Sunday nights, she would be at the altar laughing. And, um, you know, there was a time I remember my mom on the, the front porch of our house and uh, one of my sister's boyfriends was in the street and he, she was yelling at him for something. And um, yeah, I had come from a long line of dysfunction. It's okay. And uh, he said, I serve Satan. And she went like this, and then she just started speaking in tongues. My mom's not a quiet lady when she prays in tongues. And so the neighborhood is all out, everyone on the porch, and our houses are close together in Pennsylvania. And so everybody's hearing this, and I'm like, oh. And I always tell my mom, I'm like, mom, you know, you can control it. The Bible says that the spirit is subject to the prophet. You don't have to do that. She's like, I can't help it. It just comes out. I'm like, mom, you, so I try to teach her, you know, control, you know, fireplace, mom. Got to have a fireplace for the Holy Spirit. And so this last week, um, my, my sister works in a company and her boss was having neck and back pain. And so she texted my mom, said, pray for my boss. She's having neck and back pain. And my mom was praying for her and she felt like the Holy Spirit said, go pray for her. She's like, well, I'm not going to go pray for her because... All right. So she texted my sister and said, I feel like God wants me to come pray for her. She's like, well, she's got a do not disturb sign on her door today. So I don't think she's going to want you to come. And okay, I'm just being obedient. So long story short, she texts back and says, she wants you to come and pray for her. Okay. So my mom goes and she goes to the office and knocks on the door and opens the door. And there's a couple people in the room. They're having a meeting. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'll come back. Well, no, 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 come in, come in, come in. So the boss stands up, comes around the desks and puts her hands out expecting, okay, my sister's boss is Catholic, okay, but comes around the front and says, you know, waiting for my mom to take her hands and pray for her in this room of people. My mom does not want to do this, okay? I don't want to pray for people in a room of people. So she says, I just started praying and I don't know what I prayed. And then she's like, and then I prayed in tongues. She doesn't listen to anything I say. <laughs> and she's like, but then it was weird. It was like I interpreted it. She's like, I just, I started prophesying over this woman. And she said afterwards, you know, she's like, well, my, my neck does feel a little better. And she starts uh, explaining. She's like, you know, I, it was so amazing. She's like, it's like God was in the room with us. Her words. She turns and says to the lady behind my mom and says, did you feel it? The woman in tears shakes her head yes and leaves. My mom's like, I'm sorry if I offended her. I didn't. And so she's beating herself up because I've taught her you shouldn't pray in tongues in front of people because they're going to think you're weird. And she said, no, it was fine. That woman was just so overwhelmed because she, it was like God was in the room. That's what we're talking about. That's what he's calling you to. My mom is not a college-educated woman. She's not, you know, in, in a deacon position in the church. 
She's never been in leadership in the church. She's always served. She's been a Sunday school teacher. She's been a girls ministry teacher, a girls ministry leader. She's cleaned the church. She's always been a servant, but she's never been someone like, you know, that we look at and think, oh yeah, God wants to, she's just willing. And she's willing to be made a fool of if that's what it takes. Because God wants to walk into some rooms where you are. So I want to invite you to stand with me, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer blessing over you, and I'm going to dismiss you because it's 1130, and this is the time. I, I want you to go. I want you to feel free. But we're going to sing one more song. If you've got a few moments, and I'm not going to delay it, give me 10 minutes. If you'll give me 10 minutes, that's all I want. We're gonna sing a song, and if you're here and you say, I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, either for the first time, or I just need more of the Holy Spirit in my life. Even though I know I don't get more, I just need to surrender more. I need more of his residue in my life. And you say, I wanna be baptized in the Holy Spirit. As I pray, as we sing, I want you to come, and I just want you to worship here at the front. And in just a moment, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, and nobody's gonna make you do anything. No one's gonna lay hands on you. We're just gonna pray and believe God to fill you at this altar today. And so, Father, I pray that today you would fill us with your Spirit. Father, I pray that you would break off all of the fears, the doubts, that you would correct the unbeliefs in our hearts. God, we do believe. Help us to overcome our unbelief today. Holy Spirit, whet our appetite for the things of the kingdom of God. Not just today, but every day. Holy Spirit, meet us at this altar today. Baptize. Jesus, baptize us with your spirit. God, I pray your blessing over this body today. For those that, that need to leave, God, I pray that you would bless them and keep them. I pray that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to them, that you'd give them peace, that the things that we have studied together would grow in their hearts. Jesus, meet us in this place today, I pray your name. Amen. Amen. As they sing, as they lead us, I want you to come. Through the eyes of man, it seems there's so much we have lost. As we look down the road where all the prodigals have won.